0: great God. Some time ago, a couple months ago, if you remember, I preached on, I think it was my last message, I preached on heaven. And different people said, uh, well, then you ought to preach on hell. So I was thinking about that and working on it a little bit and looking at different things. And so when I got the call to preach this morning, of course my mind was immediately drawn to that. So that's my title this morning, hell. How many messages have you heard on hell lately or any time? Jesus taught on hell, if I have it correctly, 56 times. In the three and a half years that he taught. And only 24 times on heaven. So if you divide 56 times into three and a half years. How many times did he preach on hell? And many times we as ministers don't do that. But I think it is important that we do. And like somebody said it should be at least twice a year. For each minister. So I'm sharing that, passing that on. Because it is something that we need to know about and we need to be aware of, and yes, it's not a subject that we like to hear about, maybe, but we do need to hear about it. Interestingly enough, as soon as I started looking at this message, I received an email from a a publishing place that I get emails from every once in a while, and the Subject, the email that came was, and we'll get to this a little bit later, but the title was, Is Hell Real? And I thought, whoa, how did they know that that's what I was thinking about? And then when I opened it up and looked at it, it went on to say, and what do we know about it? And that's what I'd like to look at this morning a little bit. What do we know about hell? No matter how you approach this subject, hell is an awful thought. Hell is a place where there is eternal torment and pain in unquenchable flames, fire. Hell is a place of terrible memories, and we're going to look at some of these things a little bit in in some of the examples that were given in Scripture. It's a place of terrible memories and of horrible thirst. Hell is a place of eternal separation, and really maybe if you would define it in one word, then it is separation. It's a separation from God. But it's eternal separation, and it's eternal separation not only from God, but from everything else that God has made. Look at the beauty that we have around us this morning. Do you expect to see anything like that in hell? Of course not. And so it's not going to be a pleasant place to be at at all. In fact, I don't think you'll see anything. Hell is a place of eternal separation from the presence of God. So hell is a place that is prepared for the devil and his angels. You and I were never meant to go there. But many people today are choosing to go there. But it was was prepared for the devil and his angels, as Matthew 25 would tell us. But of course all those who reject Jesus as their savior will go there and they will go there for all eternity. Hell would be a horrible place to spend eternity. I think we would all agree with that this morning if we have any concept on the on the meaning of the word hell. You know, people go in and out of churches, they hear the gospel message. They are challenged to repent of their sins and to turn to Jesus for salvation. But many leave a church and just like they came in and they're still lost, they have never really accepted the message, and if they leave lost and if they do not repent of their sins, they will eventually die and go to hell. Now, a lot of people would say, well, don't talk so much on hell, I'm going to be very plain and very blunt this morning. Maybe there are people in this room that from outward appearance you haven't made. Life has been good to you. Maybe you've climbed the social ladder, so to speak, in little ways, and maybe your name is well known. Maybe you're well thought of in the community. Maybe you are a good person. You have lived a clean moral life. Maybe you're even a church member, a leader a teacher, and everyone thinks you have life complete. You've pretty well got everything under control. But in spite of all that you have, there is still something missing in your life. You know you have what it takes to live, but you also know that you're unprepared to die. You have everything you want to need materially. But you do not have a spiritual peace with God. Everything looks good on the outside, but the inside is all messed up. That is a terrible way to live. If that's the way you're living this morning, that's a terrible way to live. But you know what? It's even more of a horrible way if you die in that position. Before any of us can be saved, we must come to a correct understanding of who Jesus is. You know, he was not just a good moral man, a teacher sent sent to show us the way. No, he's far more than that. He is God in the flesh. He is not a way-shower, he is the way. He is not a truth dispenser. He is the truth. He does not point out the path to life. He is himself the life, as John 14:6 would tell us, a passage that I'm sure that we're very familiar with. So in looking at this message, I decided to see if I could find some quotes about heaven and hell, just out of curiosity. And I have two of them that I'm going to read to you, and they're totally opposite. And I, I, found, I found hundreds of them. But I took two of two people. One, I have read a number of his books. The other one, I am familiar with through history. One is Dave Hunt, who has now passed away. Wrote a lot of books, and, and I enjoyed his books. Didn't always agree with everything, but enjoyed his books. The other one is Thomas Edison, which I think we're probably all familiar with. Now, if you know anything about Dave Hunt, you know that his is going to be good. And I'm really surprised at what Thomas Edison said. But here they are. From Dave Hunt first, The choice we face is not, as many imagine, between heaven and hell. Rather, the choice is between heaven and this world. Even a fool would exchange hell for heaven. But only the wise will exchange this world for heaven. That was by Dave Hunt. Here's what Thomas Edison said. I have never seen the slightest scientific proof of the religious ideas of heaven and hell. A future life for individuals or of a personal God. I always thought Thomas Edison was pretty smart but that is not smart okay this is maybe more of a teaching thing than a me- than a message but maybe both how many different words of hell are in the bible Nobody want to even try. There's Hades. There's Hades. Sheol. Sheol. How about Gehenna? How about Tartarus? How about Lake of Fire? Lake of Fire is never interpreted for hell but it gives the same principles. So let's look at each one of those. There's four different, or basically four different words used in the Bible for hell. You read, and I'm going by the King James Version. This may not be true depending on what version you're reading. But going by the King James Version, you have Sheol in the Old Testament or Hebrew. It's Hebrew for hell. You'll see the word hell, but if you look at it, In in the original, in the Hebrew, it it would say sheol, S-H-E-O-L. Okay, it's used 65 times in the Old Testament. And these figures, you know, I didn't literally go count them, and this is the information that I found on each one of them. The word hades, H-A-D-E-S, is the New Testament Greek word for hell. It's used 11 times. Both of these words, sheol and hades, Mean uh, both mean the grave or the place of the dead. So, kind of keep these in mind because, and it gets it gets kind of complicated at times. Now, in the New Testament, you also have the word Gehenna, or it's actually the Valley of Hinnon, or everlasting punishment. It's where the rubbish was burned, and I would understand in Jerusalem, this was a valley that lay right outside of Jerusalem. We were, it was pointed out to us a couple times in our trips to Israel, and of course it's not that way now, but it would have been a place where everything was taken and burnt. Have you ever seen or do you remember? I can remember when our dump places around here would be burning, and they would burn all the time. That's why they took that or that privilege away from us and won't let us dump things just to burn. But that's the way it was and it burned constantly. Forever. That's where the idea comes from, from Gehanna. It's an everlasting punishment. Actually, that's even where murderers and th- I would understand people like that there might have been thrown out to burn because they weren't fit to be buried, they were just burned. So you have those, and then you have one word, Tardus. T A R T A R U S. T A R T T A R U S. It's used one time. Can anyone tell me where? Second Peter two four. You can turn to it. And it means the word means the deepest abyss of Hades, in other words, the lowest part of Hades, and its eternal torment. I just, I just want to read this verse and have you see the verse and see what it says and how the word hell that's in this verse is this word, and this is what it means. It says, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. In other words, the angels are in the lowest part. And I'm assuming there's depths to Hades, to hell. But they're in the lowest part. It's a place of punishment. Then, of course, like I said, in Revelation and other places, we also find the lake of fire. And we'll we'll look at that a little bit later, but... Basically four words that you may read it as hell, H-E-L-L, but when you look at the original, you'll find that these other words and the meaning of, of those words, what they are. So is hell real? Going back to the email that I got, I just want to read you a short paragraph from that email that helped me look at this here. It comes from One Path Publishing, so here's the quote. We receive hundreds of emails a day, and it is difficult to answer even a small fraction of them. But one email that was forwarded to me caused me to tear up as it was sent by a Christian. His question was simply, I have heard that the souls of unbelievers go to hell after death. Is that true? How would you have answered that? Notice, It was sent by a Christian with that question. I hope there's nobody here this morning that would have that same question. I have heard that the souls of unbelievers go to hell after death. Is that true? Now I can understand that there's confusion about this topic because we just looked at the various things and if you just read it and it says hell... And then somebody says, Well, it doesn't really mean hell, then it becomes confusing. But it's used interchangeably. And the Bible makes it very clear that heaven and hell are very real and that they're both physical places. And after you die, you will go to one place or the other based on whether you have accepted, took up your cross, followed Jesus to your death, or if you haven't. The Bible also makes it clear that those who simply believe in Jesus and don't follow him will not go to heaven. Even the demons believe, and we know where they're at, and they tremble, the Bible says. So why must there be a place like hell? Why must it be Many people have this question, and yet the scriptures describe the absolute necessity for a place that we refer to as hell, and why? And like I said, if we would define the word hell, maybe, I didn't didn't even go to Webster to look what it says, but to me, it's separation. Hell is any place where God is not present. Can I say it that way? Do you believe that? If God took his presence from us right here this morning, that would be hell. Because we need him. He does everything for us. He has provided everything for us. So the purpose of hell is to forever separate those who are not part of the kingdom. Away from a holy God in heaven. And everyone has a choice as to where they will spend eternity. Everyone has a choice. We make that decision while we're here on earth. To either be a part of the kingdom, ruled by God or the kingdom of darkness, ruled by Satan. And of course, our own lusts and desires. Sin separates. I don't care where you are and who you are. Sin separates. Young people, if you sin against your parents, how close are you to your parents? Husband and wives, if you sin against each other, how close are you? So if we sin against God, we're not very close, are we? It's a separation. Nowhere in scriptures does God destroy a created being with a spirit once it's created. Not even Satan or the fallen angels are destroyed, but will also be permanently separated in the same place that all of those who don't follow God will go. So we choose to either be with God or we choose to be with Satan. God is going to be eternally in heaven. Satan will be eternally in hell. So again, the choice is ours. Heaven is perfect and no sin can be allowed into it. And that is uh, why even those who follow God must be given new bodies. They are not capable of sin. This body cannot go. In 1 Corinthians 15 very clearly spells that out, and First Thessalonians also talks about how we will ju- uh, meet the Lord in the air, but our bodies have to be changed. But First Corinthians fifteen fifty one very familiar to all of you, I'm sure it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This body needs to be changed to go to live eternally in heaven. Now, it would appear to me, and this is thought just came to me this morning, that our bodies will also change to go to hell because it's going to be there eternally. Does that make sense? The body that we have right now, if you put it through a fire, would totally burn up. The body that people will have in hell will not burn up, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. So the only uh, feasible solution to create a place of eternal separation for those who have chosen to reject God, now this may seem harsh, but the scripture, it is scripturally correct in James 4.4. 4, it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is what? Amity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So again, Scripture is very clear that if we are a friend of the world, like Dave Hunt said, it's not necessarily heaven and hell, it's heaven and this world. Are we ready to put this world behind us and, and be separated from this world if we're going to be, want to be a friend of God? Now, let's look at some man made views of hell that have absolutely, in my opinion, no scriptural basis. You have the annihilation view that there is no existence after death. You have no consciousness as you simply cease to exist. People want to believe this as they can then live their life the way that they want to. Do you believe that you'll be annihilated? I hope not. Number two, you have a conditional view that you will start in hell if you go there, but God will not let you there forever, so you'll be annihilated later. Now, people wish to believe this for the same reason as the first one, the desire to believe the annihilation view. Number three, you have the purgatorial view. It's a place that you go to Temporarily to purge the remainder of your sins for your purification. Most Catholics believe that. People want to believe this view and it ultimately gets them to heaven unless you're very bad. What do I have to do to be very bad? Sin is sin, right? But this is what they believe. I've talked to Catholics on this. So unless you're very bad, you only are there for a while, and they really want you to, the ones that are living, to make sure that you're paying for their way out, and that's a lot of the way the Catholic Church gets their money is, is because people are paying to get somebody out of purgatory. Anyway, that's beside the point. I don't believe it, and I hope you don't either. Then there's the metaphorical way, view. This is a, a, there is a real place of conscious torment. However, it is not real in the p- terms of a, of a literal flame, having literal flames. It's metaphorical. They're only a metaphor to describe something else. This view appeals to those who wish to sin as it removes them from any punishment or intimate ultimate responsibility for their actions. So all four end up in the same place, basically. Hell is not really hell. There's a way of getting out of it, or there's a way of bypassing it, or just being annihilated. And I sometimes hope that that is... I mean, I hope, not sometimes, but I do hope that people that are thinking of cremation and do cre- cremate... That's not their idea. I'm now annihilated. I can't be found. That is not scriptural, as we'll see a little bit later. So what actually does the scripture tell us about hell? So everyone's ultimate destination will either be in heaven with Christ or in Gihana or the lake of fire. And I put those two together because I think Gehenna actually leads or leans towards actually being that it's the place of punishment, and it's the lake of fire or hell. And we see that in the in Revelation 20 in the in the great white throne judgment, and we'll read a little bit about that later. But the term hell and Hades are used interchangeably, as we noticed. Now, just to give you a couple of verses that, that bear these two out, and they actually, uh, I think they're actually the, basically the same verses. One in the Old Testament, Psalm sixteen ten says, "For thou, David says, thou, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, or sheol; neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption or decay." Acts two thirty one, Peter says, almost using the same words. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, or Hades in this case, neither his flesh did see corruption or decay, speaking of Jesus. So you can see the little bit of the difference that, it, that is used in each one of them, but they're talking about the same place. Now those who followed God and were saved by their faith before Jesus' resurrection were held Where? And I should make a comment here. Yes, I see, I think I see the person that asked me this question years ago and I never answered it in a message. Well, I have it this morning. Whether they remember it or not, I don't know. Where did Jesus go those three days that he was in the grave? Where did he go? Abraham's bosom. I believe those who followed God and were saved by their faith before Jesus' resurrection were held in Abraham's bosom under the earth. When Jesus died, many believed that he descended into the lower parts of the earth into a section of Hades known as Abraham's bosom to release all those people who had died in faith and to bring them to heaven with him. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Nathan, you said that clock back there is fast, right? (laughs) Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. Very familiar story. And there's a lot that could be pointed out in here this morning, but I'm not necessarily going to there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day and there was a certain beggar named lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores what does just having the word lazarus here tell you this is not a parable this is a true story if it was a parable nobody would be named Lazarus' name. This is a true story. Remember that. Verse 21, and desiring to, to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was what? Buried. Place of the dead. He also went. in And in hell. In Hades. He lifted up his eyes. Being in torments. Not torture. Torments. And seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said. Father Abraham have mercy on me. And send Lazarus. That he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now is he comforted and thou art tormented. Notice that tormented is used three times here. And I emphasize that and maybe we'll talk about that just a little bit later. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, and yeah, and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even though one rose from the dead. Now I'd like to go. Right to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Where did Jesus go those three days? And again, this goes back and almost is, is word for word what Psalm 68 says. But Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 10, read this way. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that, de- he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. When he ascended up on high, refers to the ascension of Christ. And at that time, he did basically two things. He led captivity captive, which refers to, I believe, the redeemed of the Old Testament who went to Abraham's bosom when they died. Christ took these believers with him out of there into the very presence of God when he ascended Now today, when a believer dies, we are not told that we go to Abraham's bosom. Jesus twice used the word paradise. Remember the thief on the cross? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. But rather we are what? What did Paul say? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So it's not Abraham's bosom for us, waiting for the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, because that's already happened, but we go to be with the Lord immediately. Those who, can't even read my own notes, those who ascended would have included Abraham, the prophets, and those in the Old Testament who had followed God by faith. The second compartment of hell is where the demonic beings are locked away in hell. So remember, I read 2 Peter 2.4, describes that this is a prison. For the angels who have sinned are reserved into the change of judgment. I believe that is where the rich man is today. He's still there today. He will be there. Until the great white throne judgment. And then he will be put where? In the lake of fire. But there was already fire where he was at. Don't ask me the difference. And I don't plan to find out. I hope you don't either. Because we have a choice. God uses the bottomless pit as a holding place for those who reject him. And as we read there in The Rich Man and Lazarus, it tells us it's a place of flames. It's hot. The rich man begs for even a drop of water from Lazarus when he sees Lazarus over in the other compartment, which has said there's a great gulf fixed. You can't go from one to the other and was called Abraham's bosom. Why it was called that, I don't know. It almost appears like Lazarus was in the lap of Abraham. When the rich man saw him. All right, let's look at that ultimate prison, Gihana or the lake of fire. It's a place of everlasting punishment. We see that in a number of verses, and I'm not going to go into all of them. It is described as outer darkness where the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all those who do not make Jesus their Lord are cast in after the judgment. The great white throne judgment in Revelation 20 verses 13 and 14 read this way. And the sea gave up its dead which were in it, and death and hell, the word Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them. The rich man was just there, delivered up which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell, Hades, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The believer has, also has two deaths. When I die to self, and if the Lord doesn't return, I die again and am placed into a grave. For the unbeliever, he never dies to self, so he dies physically. But here's his second death. Here's his second death. All those who are cast into the lake of fire will be separated from God. Into outer darkness and all will be tormented forever with a perpetual torment by burning. There's another torment that I've seen in this in studying this. The torment of the people in hell is not so much from the outside, but it's from the inside. They're tormented by the fact that I knew, I knew and I didn't accept. I knew better. I did this. I think every sin that's ever committed will, will go through that person's mind. Every chance that they had to come and accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior will come through their mind. And I think that's why the word torment is used and not torture. Torture is something that I'm going to do something to you and I'm going to torture you. Torment comes from the inside. So the words in the scripture are extremely precise, I believe, in regarding hell and the eternal separation for those who don't follow Christ. Like I say, the lake of fire is a place of of perpetual torment, and it's something that I trust none of us will ever have to face. And those who don't go to heaven, of course, that's where they're going to end up at. Jesus said in Matthew 10:28 Fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell That's the word Gihana, lake of fire If there was no hell then there'd be no reason for Jesus to save us from anything right There's no hell, there's no reason Jesus came back. Jesus came here to die on the cross, but that's why he came. We are sinful people. We are born in sin. And unless that changes, then we go to where the place that he has prepared, not for us, remember, but for the devil and his angels. But many choose to go there. So the final solution for eternal punishment and separation or for evil is is eternal punishment and separation from God if we're going to do evil. Well, I'm going to skip a number of things and go to just a few more things. Some hard questions about hell. Here's what we're hearing today. And, of course, there's one that I don't even have listed here, which I assume we all know about. If you, if you go to a funeral nowadays, regardless of who the person was and how bad they were and whether they ever knew about God, they go to heaven, right? Everybody goes. But here's some hard questions about hell. How can we be happy in heaven knowing that loved ones are in hell? How can we be happy in heaven knowing that there's some loved ones in hell. Well, personally, I believe that Jesus is gonna wipe away all tears from our eyes. That's what the Bible says, and I think along with that goes our memory of those things. I don't know how all that's gonna work, but I do not believe that those of us in heaven will know of anybody that's in hell. That's just my, if you have any viewpoints on that, I'd like to hear it. Another one. How can a loving, just, and compassionate God send someone to hell? How can he do that? And that's what we hear today. God's a God of love. God would never do that. Well, if he is a loving, just, and compassionate God, he has to send those who don't want any part of him to hell. He must send those who desire to go to hell to go there. Otherwise, he would not be a loving, just, compassionate God. Number three, why not reform people instead of eternally punishing them? We hear that a lot anymore about to reform people or rehabilitate them or whatever. So why not just do that instead of punishing them? These people are not willing to be reformed or rehabilitated. They had a lifetime on earth with countless chances to make their decision. And the place to change or the place to, for reformation is here and now. After we die, it's a place of reckoning. Number four, a God who tortures people in hell is inhumane and cruel. A God who tortures people in hell, remember I said God doesn't torture them. Where does it come from? The torment comes from within. So he doesn't torture people, but they are tormented because of their choosing to go there. I want to close with something a little bit more positive. I trust it's positive. How do... We follow the Lord and go to heaven. How do we do that? First of all, we have to commit our life to following Jesus. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit continually throughout each day of our life. We need to hate evil and run from it. As this is the fear of the Lord. If we have the fear of the Lord, we're going to do that. We're, we're not... You know, if you fear... And I don't, it, should, it should be more of a reverence. If we reverence someone, we don't want to do anything that would be against him. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So whose servants am I going to be? We want to be a servant of the king. Consider where your faith is today. What do you trust to give you eternal life? Who are you trusting? What are you trusting to give you eternal life? Good works? Clean living? A good name? All of those will fail. All of those will fail. You might have a lot going for you, but if you do not have Jesus as your personal Savior, you are lost You are doomed. You're on your way to hell. You might be thinking about eternal matters. Don't be satisfied with just thinking about eternal matters. Accept Jesus today and settle your choice of eternity forever. Settle your choice of eternity forever. Do it today if you haven't done it. And for those of us who know where we're going and have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, I trust that this has been a positive message. But if you're here this morning and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you know that you haven't, then do it. Do it today. I appreciated Kevin's devotional. We need to put on the full armor of God to study the word of God, to hide it in our hearts, memorize it so that when Satan comes with something, that we know how to answer and we know how to take care of it. So that we won't sin against him, as Psalm 119.11 says. And seek, seek your guidance in prayer. I appreciate the emphasis on prayer. Prayer. It's our communication with our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. I thank you so much that you as God, in your wisdom, knew that when man sinned, you knew what it would take. And it took your son to come to die on the cross, to shed his blood. And as we accept what Jesus did on the cross, And we accept his resurrection. And we accept him into our hearts and lives as our personal Savior. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you so much that you provided a way that we don't have to go to the place that you have set aside for the devil and his angels. But, Father, we realize that there are so many, so many that are going there. They're making that choice. I would pray this morning that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that has not accepted Jesus, as their personal Savior, that they would do that today. In fact, if there's anyone here right now that wants to do that, would you just hold up your hand? I'll just wait a little bit. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Is there anyone here that has not accepted Jesus as their personal Savior? And according to what I shared this morning, you know that at this point, if you would die, that you would go to hell. And you want to change that. Today is the day. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of each one here this morning. I would just pray that we would continue. There's many things that come into our lives that upset us, that discourage us. But Father, it should not when we think of looking ahead of you. And if each one of us is where we really belong with you, that we're doing what you have asked us to do, These things will not happen. So, Father, help us as we go from here that we would truly be the light that we need to be so that others might come to know also. Just bless each one. Be with each one. Give us a good week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.